What's the worst thing or the craziest thing you've ever done because you were desperate for a specific type of food? Um, I, I remember once uh, when we lived in Argentina where uh, if you don't know much about Argentine cuisine, you probably know they eat a lot of meat. But the other thing that you might not know is that they do not have a lot of spice to their, their food. And if you know anything about me, you know that my level for intolerance of spices is, is pretty high. And so one uh, uh, weekend, the Sheraton Hotel had a Mexican night. And uh, all of their meals were going to be uh, focused on Mexico with tacos and burritos and, and enchiladas and all of those uh, trimmings that came with them. And uh, something that did not exist in Argentina in the years that we lived in Buenos Aires. And so uh, we made reservations. We, we, we got dressed up and we drove downtown. Uh, but, but, you know, when you're really hungry for that specific something, you're willing to do some crazy things. Or, or sometimes if you can't get it, it might bring out the worst in you. And so we're going to think about that today as we uh, look at this story, uh, the next chapter in the uh, uh, journey of Israel out of Egypt towards uh, the promised land. Now, uh, uh, Egypt has, uh, uh, Israel has just witnessed perhaps a literally once-in-a-lifetime kind of miracle where God led them through the Red Sea. Uh, that he led them through on dry ground. The Egyptian army was killed. And as soon as they get on the other side and they begin their journey, they evidently have run out of fresh water. And they came to a spot named Mara where they were looking for fresh water and it was bitter. Uh, don't know exactly what that means, but it wasn't drinkable, it wasn't potable. And they complained. And then God provided a way for them to get fresh water. And as they continue to go through the, uh, the wilderness, it's not truly a desert, but it is a wilderness situation, they come across an oasis uh, named Elim. It, Twelve springs, 70 palm trees, and it was a delight. They camped there. They enjoyed the fresh water. I'm sure the kids went swimming. Uh, uh, it, it was just a, a wonderful, wonderful time. But like rest areas, they, they might be enjoyable up to a certain point. Uh, you, you don't live there. They're just a stop on the journey. And so now they're beginning their journey once again across the wilderness. And that's kind of where we pick up the story in Exodus chapter 16. Now, as I read the first part of the chapter, I want you to be looking for three takeaways that we'll come back to later in the lesson. Three things, uh, just look for them as we read. Number one, God provides. The basic message, God provides. Number two, we should be generous. And then three, we should be grateful. Those three things will come up through the text and uh, we'll, we'll uh, kind of think through them when we get there. Uh, Exodus chapter 16, <clears throat> verses 1 through 15. Then the whole community of Israel set out from Elim and journeyed into the wilderness of Sin. Now, for us English readers, that word sin doesn't mean what we think of when we think of sin. That's a name, kind of like and it's related to the word Sinai, when you think of Mount Sinai. And so this wilderness of sin is not a wilderness of transgression. It's just that happens to be its name. So they journeyed out into the wilderness of sin between Elim and Mount Sinai. They arrived there on the 15th day of the second month, one month after leaving the land of Egypt. One month. There, too, the whole community of Israel complained 
about Moses and Aaron. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. But now you have brought us out into this wilderness to starve us all to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, look, I am going to rain down food from heaven for you. Each day the people can go out and pick up as much food or bread as they need for that day. I will test them in this to see whether or not they follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they will gather food, and when they prepare it, it will be twice as much as usual. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, By evening you will realize it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. In the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your complaints, which are against him, not against us. What have we done that you should complain about us? Then Moses added, The Lord will give you meat to eat in the evening, and bread to satisfy you in the morning, for he has heard all your complaints against him. What have we done? Yes, your complaints are against God, not against us. Verse 9, Then Moses said to Aaron, Announce this to the entire community of Israel. Present yourselves before the Lord, for he has heard your complaining. And as Aaron spoke to the whole community of Israel, they looked out toward the wilderness. There they could see the awesome glory of the Lord in the cloud. Then the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the Israelites complaint. Now tell them, in the evening you will have meat to eat, and in the morning you will have all the bread you want. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening vast numbers of quail flew in and covered the camp. The next morning the area around the camp was wet with dew, and when the dew evaporated, a flaky substance as fine as frost blanketed the ground. The Israelites were puzzled when they saw it. What is it, they asked each other. They had no idea. And Moses told them, it is the food the Lord has given you to eat. And then later on in the chapter, it will be given a name, which we know as manna. Now, as you can imagine, they're in a wilderness kind of experience, and food is not as readily available as it might have been back in Egypt. Now they're in a period of testing. It's also a place of growth. The wilderness can be the best place or the worst place you've ever lived. And sometimes it's both at the same time. The people got hungry and they complained. Now, the group of people, this whole congregation, we're talking about roughly 2.5 million people by now. Uh, by, by the time that they've, uh, uh, you multiply all the men and you assume three or four kids per family, and, and that's about the size of the city of Houston or Chicago, uh, uh, they're making this mass, you know, when I, when I was uh, first reading the Bible, I always thought they would just march like single file, you know, like you do when you're on a camping trip or yourself. No, this is a mass of people and this mass movement of people through the, the, the wilderness. Now, we all know that when we get hungry, we get grumpy, we get frustrated, we don't act like us. In fact, uh, a particular candy bar has made a very successful marketing uh, uh, ploy on that. You are you when you're hungry. Uh, uh, and they've come up, we've come up with a word, hangry, which is a combination of hungry and angry, and that's what we get when we don't get what we want to eat. Combine that with the uh, Israelite selective memory. When they think back to Egypt, they're thinking only of the good things. I doubt that it was true that they had all the food they ever wanted to eat. They were slaves 
And remember, Pharaoh was treating them horribly. And so it's doubtful he was giving them as much food as they wanted to eat. But now they feel like they're starving to death. Except that wasn't quite the case. In chapter 17, we're going to talk. We're going to see that they have uh, uh, livestock with them, and they have herds with them. So that means all these animals that they brought with them are providing milk, out of which you can get plenty of nutrients. You can get cheese. You also have animals that you can kill and eat if you want to. So, so what we have here is kind of like the guy or the gal that opens up the refrigerator, looks at everything in the refrigerator, and then says, you know what they're going to say, there's nothing to eat in here. <laughs> We've all done it at some point or another. And what we're really saying is, there's nothing to eat that I want right now. And that's what they were saying. And they were complaining. They had plenty of food. They were not starving to death. But they complained. I don't know how you handle complaints. Uh, if someone in your family is complaining or someone in the office is complaining, uh, how, how do you handle it? Well, God says, I heard the complaints and I'm going to rain down on you something that's going to stop all the complaining. You know, God had rained down fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah. He had rained down hail on the Egyptians. So what does he choose to rain down on this two and a half million mass of people that are complaining as one voice? He chooses to rain down food, meat and bread, quail and manna. And manna wasn't actually bread. It's called bread, but uh, but it was kind of a wafer that, that tasted sweet like honey that you could then crumble up, you could grind up, you could use it to bake or to cook. See, I always thought that it was us, mankind, who invented eating cereal in the morning. Manna was kind of like the sweetened cereal that we all eat in the morning, and it was God's idea, and so he's been providing cereal for the people of Israel and the people of God ever since, and, uh, and we've just kind of uh, uh, improved on the recipe a little bit, but basically it was a sweet type of uh, 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 starch that, that you could then use to eat. So, uh, 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 people that know me also know that I eat the same thing every morning. If I'm at home, I'm eating the same thing, a bowl of cereal, every day. Come rain, come hurricane, uh, come uh, uh, groceries, same thing. Uh, and, and so, I would have been happy, I think, with the manna uh, every morning, with a bowl of uh, goat's milk and, uh, and and call it good. Three takeaways. God provides. God provides for his people, giving us what we need, what we truly need. Now, I want you to think about this. God provides in two different ways. We've seen how he provided with a big, spectacular miracle, guiding the people through a body of water on dry ground. Those are once-in-a-lifetime kinds of miracles, and sometimes we're fortunate enough to experience those. But God also provides in the day-to-day -day provision and miracle of life and providing what we need for life, and he does it every single day, all day long, whether we're aware of it or not. 
the air that we breathe, that if we get a lung infection or we have a respiratory situation that requires a ventilator, we'll realize how costly and how difficult it is for us to breathe air when our bodies aren't functioning properly. Sun, rain, all of the specific kinds of elements. Sometimes in our quest to look for the big miracle of God, we forget about, we overlook, and we tend to minimize the everyday miracles of God. And, and, and the people of God, no matter what God had done, they just weren't satisfied. They, they, they weren't happy enough. And every situation for them created a crisis of faith, and it didn't matter how illogical that situation was, it created a crisis of faith. I remember reading this quote by Woody Allen. He, he, said, he once said, How can I believe in God when just last week I got my tongue caught in the roller of a typewriter? Well, what were you doing with your, for those of you that, that uh, 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 us older folks know what a typewriter is, uh, the kids might not, but, but what was your tongue doing in a typewriter? And why would you say that you can't believe in God because of that? Well, that's just kind of how we are. God is teaching the Israelites to depend on him. He gave them the big flash crossing the Red Sea. Now he's saying every day, trust me, I'm looking out for you. I've got your back. I've got you covered. Every day you will have what you need. And so what are we supposed to do with that? We are to be generous. Uh, each person was to gather, and, and it didn't matter whether they gathered too much or too little. There was enough because everyone shared what they had. And, and that's the point Paul makes uh, in, in Corinthians when he's addressing them and their desire and their need to share with the poor. He, he's going to tell them that just like in the times of, uh, uh, of the Exodus, uh, God expects us to share out of the abundance of what we have with those who don't have so that within the community of faith, everyone will have what they need. Nobody has too much and nobody has too little. God provides, but not only does he provide bread, he provides the true manna from heaven, which is Jesus, who gives us everything that we truly need. What do we do with this bread of life, whether it be physical blessings or whether it be spiritual blessings? We should be generous and share them with others. And then the third point, we should be grateful. You know, in our culture of accumulation, uh, it, it's hard to know. In fact, I don't know that we ever get to a point where we could say enough is enough. We never have enough. You could ask me, how much hot sauce is enough? Well, there's never enough hot sauce. How many books are enough? There's never enough books. Uh, because we can always want the latest and the greatest and the newest. And rather than falling into the rut that the world kind of has shaped for us, God challenges us to a different path, to be content and to be grateful for what we have. We can, of all people, enjoy the peace and the strength that comes from trusting and depending on God to provide us what we need when we need it. There's a Chinese proverb uh, that says, happiness is the absence of striving for happiness. We can be truly happy when we give up that desire to seek happiness at all costs. Then we can be at peace. 
a couple months back, uh, uh, Cheryl Hudson shared a, a story with me that I think is especially appropriate for, uh, uh, for this lesson. It's called The Tenth Apple Effect. And it begins kind of uh, as a parable. And the story says that there was a hunter that went into the forest. Uh, he was hunting for deer. And no, the hunter's name was not Paco, but it could be. Uh, he was hunting for, for a deer, and, and he was using all of his navigational skills, but then he got kind of turned around, and he got lost, and he couldn't find the deer, and he couldn't find his way out, and he was just stuck. And day after day, he stuck in the middle of this forest and, and didn't know what to do, didn't know how to get out. This was before the days of, of uh, GPSs and cell phones. And then in the distance, he saw what looked to be a fruit tree. He got closer, and it was. It was an apple tree. And, and, and there were ripe apples on the tree, and he grabbed one, and he was so, so happy. He, he was just so pleased uh, that this apple never tasted so sweet. There was never an apple that was so delicious as this first one he had eaten in the midst of his famine, in the midst of his desperation, in the midst of his hunger. And he got on his knees, and he thanked God as the, as the juice was dripping down his arms, and he was so grateful. But he was still a little hungry, so he grabbed another apple, and he ate the second one. By the time he got to the fifth apple, it didn't taste quite as sweet. And he wasn't quite as grateful for that fifth apple. By the time he got to the tenth apple, it was like, this apple isn't worth anything. It's a horrible apple. Why should I even keep eating it? Well, it wasn't anything to do with the apple. It, it, it was something that in economics is evidently called, uh, let me find it here, diminishing marginal utility. We can also call it diminishing gratitude or the tenth apple effect. The tenth apple was just as sweet as the first, but he had become so accustomed to wanting that huge impact of the first apple that every successive apple seemed less important. And he began to take the apple for granted. And that's kind of what happens in our lives. We have lived with plenty and with an abundance for so long that we expect to be wowed every single time. And when we're not wowed, we start pouting. And we start getting frustrated and we start saying things like, I don't know if I believe in God because he hasn't given me everything that I want. Gratitude can help us from uh, uh, allowing life to become boring. It can keep us from thinking that the good things that we're getting from God are really just what should be expected. The 10th apple effect. Think of that the next time you start getting frustrated with something wonderful in your life that is just easy to, to, to take advantage of and take for granted. This is the beginning of this 40-year journey for the Israelites. Scriptures tell us that God provided manna every single day for two and a half million people for 40 years, every single day. Day, and, and let me tell you, the last day and the last time that God provided manna was just as sweet and just as tasty 
And that bowl of cereal was just as delicious as this very first time when God is providing it. God provides what we need, doesn't always give us what we want. Give generously with what God has given us and share with those who don't have what they need. And then be grateful for everything God has provided. It's my prayer that, uh, that God will fill your life with every good and perfect gift and that you will use those to first be grateful and then to be generous.